Hey photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That means improving your photo skills, building on your business knowledge, and honing your marketing abilities, but it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We do try to bring the show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographers Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. Again, photographersedit.com and Milu.com. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Boca podcast episode uh, today with yet another brand new guest and really exciting topic. Actually, I'm I'm really stoked to get into this with Humberto Garcia. Thank you for hanging out with me today. We've had kind of endless conversation leading up to this and we finally made this happen. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And uh, kind of break the fourth wall here and, and talk about something absolutely irrelevant to photography or almost irrelevant to photography motorcycles are something that you and I share in common. I was actually just a few minutes ago showing my son a picture of the the motorcycle and sidecar that you own. How long have you been riding? I've been riding since I was 20 years old, stationed in Hawaii uh, during my first tour in the Marines. You know, er every young Marine was getting one. So the most logical thing for me to do was to get one as well. So I've been riding, you know, mainly street bikes uh, up until I was like 26. Then I kind of switched over to you know, the sidecar world when I had my daughter. Which is pretty brilliant. I actually just, I have a sidecar myself and, and hooked it up to the bike just the other day and got to take my daughter out on it for the first time. It's it's kind of fun. You can just look over and there they are just chilling with you, hanging out. Um, pretty cool experience. Not one that you see a lot on the roads. What was your first bike though? My first bike was a Honda 600, a CBR 600. Cool. It was a lot of fun. I mean, Hawaii, I lived on uh, the island of Oahu and had a lot of awesome roads. Riding a sidecar is a little bit different. Um, it's not, you know, it's not the same intensity or speed. I think the top speed on my bike might be 65, 70. Yeah. And I might never even hit 50 driving around Miami. So it's just a lot different 10 years apart. And I'm really glad I have the sidecar now. It is a different experience. Though. I will say this. I, I got my current bike, it's a Triumph Bonneville by itself rides one of the easiest bikes to ride, but with the sidecar attached, it totally throws you, throws you off your game. I, I brought it back. I picked it up in, I think, I don't know, a couple hours or so away in Nashville area maybe and rode it back. I'd never ridden with a sidecar before. And for those of you who don't know, when you, when you have a motor, when you're riding a motorcycle, you naturally lean into a turn. So for example, if I'm going around a curve and I'm, I'm going to the left, I'm going to, and I'm physically doing this as I'm talking about, but I'm going to lean off the bike a little bit into the turn. Well, with a, a sidecar on board, it throws the weight distribution way off, especially if there's nothing in it. And now you have to lean the opposite direction, at least at times, in order to compensate for this kind of imbalance in weight. Have you had any struggles with that? Yeah, the, I think the first time I took it out, like the, uh, one of the first months I had, I had one in North Carolina when I was stationed there, I didn't take the turn slow enough and I didn't really know how to balance myself. So yeah. the sidecar came up and yeah. it really, really scared me. <laughs> yeah. um, but now it, now I'm more used to driving with a sidecar because okay. the kind of bike I have has a reverse and it's meant to be driven with a sidecar. And every time I go and rent a two wheeler now, if it, it actually takes me, it's the opposite, right? It's, right. it's harder for me to drive a two wheeler now than it is to drive with a sidecar. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really disconcerting. I actually had to put a bag of, I went to, I think Lowe's and bought a bag of bird seed and just dirt to, to weigh the sidecar down a little bit. So it would make it easier for me as I rode back that night. And I rode back at night. I was in the highway. I was doing like 65, 70 and tractor trailers going past. It was one of the most intense nerve wracking experiences that I've had riding. Um, not one I prefer to, to repeat, but it is a cool experience. You mentioned though being stationed in Hawaii and, and you are one of the few guests that we've had on the show that doesn't come from a photography background. Will you just kind of give our listeners some context as to your background? Yeah. So when I was 18, uh, I told my mom I didn't want to go to college anymore. You know, had my sights on being a mechanical engineer, made it through two semesters and joined uh, just in time to go to Iraq and Afghanistan three times total. Wow. My second five years, I was about to get out and go to school of electrical engineering in Colorado. 
And there was the opportunity to join the special operations world. And somehow I made it through the tryout and I got accepted. Hmm. So I did that my, my last five years in. So I did 10 years total. And while I was there, my daughter was about two years old. And my best friend was killed in action in Afghanistan. Wow. And that night I went home and I, I looked through my computer because he got shot right next to me. And then uh, the, the medic, the special amphibious uh, reconnaissance corpsman next to, next to him got shot in the arm and leg. And I went back to my room and I was just kind of like in awe that nothing had happened to me. Hmm. So I went and looked at all the photos I had of me and my daughter just kind of thinking, you know, what would have happened if that would have been me? And I only had maybe five or six photos with her and they were all just kind of cell phone photos. And I just got obsessed with when I got back, I bought a, I bought a bunch of camera equipment and I probably took like 40,000 photos in the first month. Wow. And yeah, from there, people were like, Hey, you want to do a wedding? You want to do this? You want to do that? And I just, within three months, I was already doing in-person sales. I kind of had my heart on getting out of the military which I did about a year and a half later. Hmm. So it was a pretty strange transition for someone in a position I had as a special operations team member. And all my friends were kind of like, you mean you're not joining a three-letter agency? You're, you're not going to stay in? <laughs> and it, it honestly has been the best thing that's ever happened because I wasn't around a lot during the first two years of her life. And since then, I've really designed everything I do to be near her school, be able to play with her, walk her to school and I feel like I've gotten a second chance at life. So it's kind of how I got into the photography world, but I, I wouldn't change anything about, you know, my journey. But ultimately you, you also run the digital marketing studio and we're going to be talking about sales funnels today. How did you kind of make that transition into that world? Yeah. So I was, uh, I moved to Miami and, you know, I moved to Miami and I was doing the wedding photography scene. I was doing portraits I had been doing it while I was active duty my last year and, you know, having success in North Carolina, but transitioning to Florida, not having kind of the consistency of the Marine Corps was kind of like jumping off a cliff without a parachute. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, it, you know, I'd been in 10 years. I felt like I'd been indoctrinated. It was very mm -hmm. strange to wake up and not have a place to be or have tons of responsibility, but I was just kind of taking a little bit of everything. I was trying to get really good at real estate photography. So I was getting commercial jobs to go photograph hotels in Jamaica. I was getting destination weddings. And one of the destination weddings I did was in Key West. And at the, I think at the time I had lost about a $10,000 camera bag oh, wow. uh, on, on a road trip. And somebody had inquired with like a week notice and they basically asked, hey, can you come down to Key West like next week and t do a wedding? So I basically agreed to it because I needed to make money quickly. And normally I wouldn't have taken it because of the price point but I go and do it and I'm practicing my drone flying skills. And some woman comes up to me and she's like, she was a guest there. And she's like, can you, you know, can you help do some video for my business? And of course I said, yes, cause I was trying to recoup some of that money. And I didn't think she'd call me, you know, a lot of people always kind of ask for your services while you're at weddings and stuff, but she did, she no kidding called me on the dot and said, can you come do this video tomorrow? And she was like a marketing, you know, paid Facebook ad, Google ads coach for like women entrepreneurs. And I just started like following her around. She started taking me to her masterminds in Las Vegas. And I started doing all these major events. And while I was there, I, I was learning a lot, number one, and going to these conferences, I was meeting all these people. And I was like, wow, like, number one, I do this for photography. This isn't that hard. And I didn't really realize that this many people needed help with this. Hmm. So from there, you know, I kind of started transitioning and I'd already been kind of like teaching people on the side as like a side, not a side, I didn't charge, but you know, I'd go to the rising tide meetings and they'd have me teach or, you know, the local groups would have me, you know, show up to like meet and greets and teach lessons on how to do paid advertising and SEO. Uh, but then when I started realizing like, whoa, I can really help establish businesses or people scale, it just became an opportunity that I, I ended up liking it more than photography itself. So I kind of transitioned fully. So now we have a full full staff of about seven people here in the United States, mostly in Miami. And that's primarily what we focus on is doing paid advertising for photography studios, whether it's weddings, boudoir, portrait studios, glamour, you name it. So it's been a little bit of a journey and I never thought I would have been here, but I feel like the, the fact that I said yes to a bunch of things yeah. uh, and I just tried things and I went outside of my comfort zone doing video when I didn't really know how to do video and just kind of like self-learning everything along the way just really made it so like all the opportunities in the world just opened up and fortunately I landed here. 
Well, and I appreciate you sharing the backstory and giving our listeners context to the conversation. When we have somebody come on and teach something like like sales funnels, how to develop sales funnels, I think maybe in some cases anyway, it's good to be like, hey, you know what? This is why this person even has the ability to, to share this information. This is their experience. This is their backstory. Your backstory is particularly interesting. I did want to ask you, though, I mean, you said you, one of the things that you did was say yes to opportunities. Are there other... Is there other big lessons or are there other big lessons along the way or maybe even a particularly big lesson that you learned being in the military that you think has made a big difference in your ability to move quickly in business? Because you haven't been in this extremely long, yet you've you've made something for yourself. How has that happened? I will say every time I look back, I don't know why I say yes. I think a lot of times it's I'm either too naive or I don't have any shame. Uh, but I, I look back and the the exact same business I have right now uh, at some point, my roommate had approached me and, you know, she was kind of telling me about Creative Live and telling me about, you know, all these opportunities in the education space and, you know, with paid advertising. And she told me everything. And I basically told her, that's dumb. Like, that wouldn't work for me. I'm going to be a wedding photographer. And lo and behold, seven months later, when I started learning and kind of uh, following that marketing woman around, I realized, wow, this is what she was telling me. And I was so close minded and I hadn't you know, and I closed myself off to that possibility, even though she told me the exact steps I should have taken. And along with that, every single time I've set a deadline, or I basically just announce to the world or, you know, say I'm going to do something, whether it's like within my team right now, things actually get done. And I, I will say that's, that's definitely something that, you know, everything from joining special operations, right? Like I just submitted an application. I didn't ask too many questions. Mm. I didn't even think, you know, I didn't think much of it other than hey, I have to go do those things. And as long as I do them, it's going to work. So yeah, it's just kind of turned out like that. And it's funny because now, even though I'm more successful than I've ever been, I have more experience, I have more employees, I have more case studies and more, let's just say, uh, assets to utilize. It's weird because sometimes even now I have more doubt than I used to have, Hmm. right? It's it's almost like when I didn't know how hard it was or when I didn't know uh, how to even do some of the things I had, I had no doubt that I was going to succeed at it. I didn't even know what the obstacles were. So it's almost like I was blinded that I didn't know how hard it was going to be that I didn't worry about those things. And now sometimes I have to kind of reframe and, you know, reevaluate every time I start doubting myself. I'm like, wait, I'm 10 times smarter than I was a year, you know, three years ago when I launched that thing and it worked. Why would I doubt myself now? So it's kind of like a weird place where, you know, those are definitely the lessons I've learned from it. Uh, and I, I just have to make sure to like keep keep those at the top of in front of my mind so I don't regress or doubt myself, you know? Well, you know, I wonder too, take it, I want to get your thoughts on this. Photographers, myself included, by the way, um, despite my ability to be able to make a decision and be disciplined and, and do this thing and that, it, look, at, look at situations critically and, and analyze and make a decision. I, I tend to be a pretty emotional guy. A lot of photographers are pretty emotional people and their, their emotions are up and down and their, their decisions and their behavior kind of reflect those up and down emotions. It's just kind of a reality of, of our industry. Your experience in the military, particularly in special operations, I mean, no question you have to be able to think critically to function well in, that, in those environments. But then at the same time, you're put into situations, you're told this is what you're going to do and you just go do it without sitting around for endless hours overthinking it. I wonder if that experience has made a difference in your ability to be able to just say yes and go do and then figure it out as you go. Yeah. Uh, so when I went, the, one of the hardest things I've ever did in my life was go through the, basically the indoctrination, the tryout and the transformation to become a Marine operator. And when I was there, I remember looking around, I'm not very tall. I'm like five, seven, you know, I don't look like a GI Joe. I didn't look <laughs> like I, I didn't look like I belonged amongst the guys that were there, but there were like six foot GI Joe looking guys, guys that eat, ate, slept and breathed everything about this, you know, had generations of previous military. They just look like they belong. Sure. And I just remember thinking every day, like, how am I going to get through this? Like, I don't feel like I fit in. And what I realized was, was all I, all I had to do was worry about getting through to the next meal. So mm. I just had to make it to breakfast. I had to make it to lunch, made it to dinner. Yep. And a lot of the guys that I thought were, you know, going to blow everything out of the water that I thought were going to, you know, overachieve and obviously get selected. They'd start dropping out because they'd let things creep into their head. Like, mm. you know, am I willing to go on a deployment two years from now? Am I willing to, you know, go on that 12 mile hike two months from now? 
And they started to let all the things in the future, all these obstacles that, you know, they'd eventually come, but they let them compound right now. Yeah. So, you know, every time we'd come back from like some sort of training or some sort of uh, obstacle or some sort of test, people's racks would be empty. You know, their, their beds would be, you know, kind of emptied out and they'd be shipped home. So I don't, I don't know if that's a lesson or just something where, you know, I just kind of realized like, as long as I don't overthink the future, or as long as I don't let all those things compound and affect me now, right? they usually don't turn out as bad as, as bad as you think they're going to, you know? That's so true. No, I think it's a massive lesson. I mean, and, and if we were to sum it up, we could talk about the significance of presence and it's, you know, being present in the moment. This is such a, almost a cliche topic these days in our culture. A lot of people talk about it. I'm not sure how many people actually live it. There is so much to be said for, I mean, even as you're describing, I'm just going to make it to the next meal. It's amazing how our mind is able to, our emotions ultimately are able to relax when I'm not thinking 68 steps ahead. Again, there's something to be said for strategy and there's, I don't want to minimize that, but especially for the emotional personalities out there, thinking 68 steps ahead constantly and then constantly dwelling there is not doing us any favors do some strategizing, but then be here and take it a step at a time. And I think that example that you shared of taking it from meal to meal is a beautiful example of that. Um, And what a great lesson to start out our conversation too. So I truly appreciate you sharing that experience and those lessons with us. Um, What would you, I really want to kind of turn the corner here in our conversation though. And and one of the first questions I've been asking our guests as of late has to do with customer service. And by the way, just further context for everybody listening in, um, you can see Umberto's uh, website, the digital marketing studio.com. We'll put that in the show notes and then hgphotographer.com as well. The photography website. We'll also put that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. But your experience as a business owner, multiple businesses now, what would you say is one of the most important principles behind providing a wonderful customer experience? You know, I know there's, I think there's a million answers to this and most of them aren't wrong. But I do think it begins with just being obsessed with your product and your craft. Like a, a lot of times I feel, you know, and sometimes I have to be honest with my clients or I have to be honest with, you know, my team or, or ourselves. And a lot of times we, you know, we try to, we try to take, sh- not take shortcuts intentionally, but instead of focusing on the product or let's just say, you know, here you can call it the experience, right? The photo session to the sales, you know, that whole sales process. But if your product is the very best and, you know, you refine it, you sharpen it, you just become the best at what you do, you don't have to work so hard at the customer experience. And I I know that sounds almost like the antithesis of what a lot of people uh, believe, right? Or would think as like common, like the first thing that comes to their mind. But to me, the reason that's number one is because that's that's a certain level of respect you're showing your client when you are obsessed, Hmm. when you hold the highest level of standard for yourself. Like I, I, I don't see anything that shows more respect to the people that pay you and hire you when you take that burden on for yourself. So for me, it is just absolutely being obsessed with, you know, your skills, your end product that you provide, you know, whatever it is, whether you're a wedding photographer, you know, whether you're a newborn photographer and, and that could, that could be skills at a lot of different levels, right? Whether that's that could be skills in posing, that could be skills in lighting, skills in, you know, how you treat and, um, you know, acknowledge other people's insecurities or help them achieve their dreams, you know, whatever that outcome, dream outcome is for them. But just absolutely being obsessed with your end product and your own skills, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. And I was going to ask you what that, how that translated to, I mean, when I think about customer experience, I think about how the customer feels engaging with your brand, but you even alluded to the significance of empathy toward your client, the experience that you're creating for them. So this doesn't just apply to the actual service that you're creating, but the way that you engage with your clients as well. Yeah, I would say so. And, you know, so if, if, you know, if you're referencing, you know, how would they feel or, you know, how they would feel interacting with your business or you or your photography to me, you know, if, if you're someone like, I'll just point to someone I think is like one of the best newborn maternity photographers, Lola Milani. Okay. Like the fact that she has some, one of the best portfolios in the world and that you know, you're going to get the best images, like that's going to inspire confidence. That's going to make me feel way better when I book that person. When I receive my images, I'm going to be ecstatic. You know, I'm not just going to ooh and ah and ha and just kind of like passively accept the images. So again, I know it's a little bit, 
I don't know, unorthodox. Uh, but I do feel like, you know, the better the product is, the better the, you know, the, the end, the end product, what that transformation they're paying for, yeah. regardless of the genre. I do think that that really heavily influences how the person feels. So I, well, and I love the way that, I mean, first of all, I've, ne- I've never had a guest in 400 episodes talk about this perspective before. So I love hearing the different perspective. I also like the significance that you give to the respect you're showing the end client or the potential end client in the effort that you're putting into developing the experience, the service, the product. Um, I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. So, wow, I love your perspective, but I want to get your perspective on another topic too. And that is to do with your brand position. So digital marketing these days, I mean, there are so many people in that space. And so I'm curious how you've distinguished your business from others in that space, particularly in the Miami market. What is your business's brand position? Yeah. So I will say that 99% of all my business right now comes from doing marketing for other photography studios. Okay. So for us, normally I, I, I've kind of like thought this through as someone coming to me, right? People that come to us to hire us are coming to get as many qualified leads as possible, ultimately more bookings and then more sales from those bookings. So everything we do is geared towards that. And that's kind of hits on the subject of sales funnels. So we try to make the thing that really differentiates us is number one, we have the most amount of communication and transparency anyone has ever experienced with a marketing agency. Number two, on with, you know, kind of the topic I was talking about is us being obsessed and, you know, being the best at what we do. We spend so much money in so many different areas and get results for so many different kinds of photographers in different regions that we're able to take you know, previous campaigns we've ran, we're able to take, you know, things that we know are tried and true and run them across Facebook and Google in different areas. And then we've, we've been able to refine our email automations, our text automations, and really get the best results for the photographers that hire us. Uh, and whether they hire us or whether they, you know, take what we teach and they do it themselves, that really has been, you know, the thing that really separates us is I'm very numbers oriented. I'm kind of, you know, we're very in your face. We hold our clients accountable. Um, and for a lot of people, they really appreciate that. You hmm. know, uh, I, I've been told sometimes like, Hey, you got to cool down. Like photographers want to be talked nice to <laughs> this is military. <laughs> yeah. And for me, it's like, you know what? I think I can't really change who I am. And if I have that standard for us, I think that's the standard they'd want to be held to as well. Hmm. And a lot of times they thank us and say, you know, uh, I didn't realize we were, I was messing that part up or I didn't realize, you know, I, I was missing on that or, yeah, I haven't been using my time properly. And every day you guys message me, um, it makes me feel urgency. So when you yeah, talk about the most communication and transparency, I mean, a lot of photographers, you'll hear them or maybe see them talk about relationships and the effort and time they put into relationships. It seems like a common thread these days. So in the marketing, digital marketing world is communication and transparency. That is truly something that's unusual. And so that lets you stand out. Yeah, I will say, you know, obviously for us, for our clients, it's a little bit different because we work with them daily. But a lot of times, you know, if you're a wedding photographer, if you're a portrait photographer, you know, people just expect it's almost like we look at the lens of like, um, it's almost an unrealistic expectation of what it takes to book somebody and provide the most value and have the most profitable business. So Hmm. it's almost like, Hey, we just imagine someone's going to click on our website, love what we do and book us that moment. <laughs> right. And, and of course that happens sometimes, but a lot of times that we, we find that's about 15% of people, you know, they're ready to book. They're in that buying cycle right now. But most people just like if I was going to go look for a fridge, I'm going to go online a bunch of times and walk into the store and ask a bunch of questions, ask some friends. And that buying window might be really open for me. And if I have, if I have the, the ethos of, Hey, I need to create as many uh, conversations as possible. I need to get in front of as many people as possible and provide value and form a relationship, you know, gradually, then you'll not only tap into the 15% that are ready to book now, but six months from now, you're going to get the people that, you know, were in the six month window a year from now, you're going to be building a repository or an email list of people that potentially will need your services later. So, Overall, everything that we do do, especially when it comes to lead generation, is you know building, building familiarity, right, and then transitioning that. And there's different steps, right? So different steps could be you know following you on social media. Next steps could be joining your email list, 
having a phone consult, even if they don't book, following up with that phone consult, right? So yeah, I, I do feel that a lot of times for most photography studios, you know, and sometimes they do really well doing this, but I do feel like they leave a lot of money on the table is they'll just focus on, hey, they inquired in the last two days. That's their booking window. If they don't book with me, then to hell with them, right? Hmm. Maybe they don't say that, but <laughs> that's, that's if you're not contacting them afterwards, if you're not building a relationship afterwards, it's, it's kind of the implied, you know, treatment, right? Wow. Yeah. I mean, it seems so obvious and yet it's obviously not being done. I mean, 15% would not have been the number that I would guess when you're talking about somebody that is ready to book when they come to the site and the rest aren't. That's a massive number. And of course, we're going to be talking about how to develop a sales funnel more effectively to combat that number here in just a bit. But I want to keep going. Let's talk about time for a second. You mentioned your daughter earlier. You've got multiple businesses that you're quite busy with. How do you maintain time for your family, yourself, and your businesses all simultaneously? Are there particular workflow techniques that you might suggest to our listeners? Yeah. So number one, I do delegate a lot, which I know a lot of photographers come to you to do, especially with their editing. Um, so within my team, I try to use my time as wisely as possible and their time. Uh, but one of the most important workflow kind of ideas and uh, strategies that we use, we use the two hour day. And basically what we do is in the morning we meet up and everybody should have their day planned by the time we get on. Okay. And we treat we basically plan the day as if the day was going to end two hours later. So if we start at nine in the morning, we basically plan and say, look, if at 11 o'clock we had an emergency, we had to leave the office, what needed to get done to have a successful day? And that usually makes you distill your most important tasks yeah. or the most important you know, things that you got to get done. And normally that works really well. And we stay on top of all our projects. Uh, and it also it also makes it so that we focus on the things that actually, number one, make money for our clients and then keep us sustainable as a profitable business as well. So that's, that's definitely something that just helps us stay in front of everything else on top of, you know, writing our writing my day in the morning or delegating tasks on ClickUp. I will say that just that one thing has just made us two to three times more productive. And then sometimes we do that halfway through the day. So we'll have like a one o'clock meeting and then we'll reassess and say, okay, what do we have to get done in the next two hours if we had to leave early today? And we just kind of keep doing that, right? Like constantly applied pressure, um, which is something, again, I kind of learned in the military that if you don't have like a constant supervised pressure or yeah. just uncomfortableness, yep. makes it really easy to have eight hours go by and then you realize what even got done today or where were our hours used properly today? I love this concept. I, I like to try to, I mean, I shoot for about a five hour work day myself, but a two hour day as a principle is really interesting. Is this something that you learned somewhere else or you just developed yourself? Yeah. So I've, I hire, I hire, I've hired a couple of coaches in the past. Okay. And this is actually one thing I got from him that like we've really, really stuck to. And, and by the way, we don't have a two hour day, sure, but sure. we, we plan the day as if, yeah. right. And then inside of those, just the other gray areas we get done all of the other tasks that, hey, they're important, but they're not like make or break or sure. they're not going to impact the revenue of another business or our right. business, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. The proactive versus the reactive. This is kind of how I refer to it when I've spoken about it before. The, the proactive stuff moves your business forward, as you were talking about. The reactive stuff has to happen, but it's the busy work too. So focusing on the proactive and, and then having space for the reactive later, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, even, even for photographers that I work with a lot of times, especially if we are just getting started, they might feel overwhelmed, right? They might feel like, oh my God, I have so many phone consults to do. I have so many client orders or they might start getting busy because they've never had this volume of shoots. Um, and one thing we always preach is look, if, if you're doing things during the day, during our golden hours, right? Our money-making hours, then we are not focused on what makes money in the business. So as an example, if, if it's 10 in the morning and you're editing photos, one of two things needs to happen. You either need to delegate that and hire you know, an editor. You need to outsource that. Or you need to do that during platinum hours. You need to do that at six in the morning. You need to do that at nine in the morning. Because those aren't, that isn't like a two hour task that if it doesn't get done, like your business won't move forward, if hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. I love the thought process. I think it's brilliant. And you're right. We need a certain amount of tension to kind of keep us going, especially those of us who work from home and don't really have the accountability of a, of a boss or even a, a partner, business partner, or even somebody that's doing admin work for us. Uh, so having that kind of underlying tension 
that isn't stressful. It's just saying, hey, you've got this time frame within to, to function, within which to function. You need to get this stuff done. I think it's a, I think it's a brilliant thought process. I really, really love this. You talked about delegation, though, and, and I love that you highlight the significance of it. But one of the things that I'm curious about, because I've been going through this myself and, and continuing to learn about it, is the significance of communication and, and not just communication, but knowing how to communicate in a way that resonates with other people. Uh, Haley, who edits this podcast, is listening in right now. This is something that I've, she knows I'm working on an ongoing basis and working with her, communicating effectively what it is that I'm looking for, what it is that I have in mind, because I'm guilty of doing something that we've seen photographers do with us at Photographer's Edit, just kind of assuming that she'll be able to figure some things out once she gets to it rather than communicating really specifically. So I'm curious, have you learned how, or how have you learned to communicate effectively with your team in order to get things done the way that you would like? Well, I will say it's definitely a learning process, right? Because <laughs> I hear the know, smile in your voice. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, especially with things like, you know, um, a lot of times you take for granted, you're like, okay, we would, co- we covered that last week. So they definitely need to know my intent. Um, but I, I will say that one really important thing is um, there's a concept, you know, I kind of got it from the Marine Corps was, is commander's intent. And I think it's important to number one, maybe have almost like a company. Uh, it's almost like company culture or okay. company, you know, guidelines. And for me, my commander's intent is basically, you know, at the forefront, our clients want to get in front of as many people as possible. They need to, collect as much data as possible. And we need to have as many touch points as possible. And as long as they're putting out value to the world, they're being the authority that fits within my, my commander's intent. So the communication between my team, it makes it really easy to just go back to that baseline. Like, does this fit that intent when Mm -hmm. we were designing this campaign, when we were setting this budget for this, you know, when we're deciding what to do for mother's day, does this meet the commander's intent? And I will say when, when, I, I feel like if you have a lot of rules, you know, if you have a lot of almost like strict step-by-step, which of course is needed sometimes, but when people aren't allowed to think freely, mm. I feel like that commander's intent, that guideline kind of guides them in the way where it's like, okay, I don't need Umberto to tell me every step because obviously working with so many studios, I could become the, almost I become the, what is it? Like the slowdown point or the friction point where everything has to go through me. Uh, but just having that available and having someone who is very effective. My second in charge is probably the most talented person I've ever worked with. Wow. And she's super hardworking and she's, it's almost like I've cloned myself and I, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like she just gets it so well that even when I'm not there, she's able to, you know, she's able to go in and take the responsibility of supervising others. Um, and that, that's, I guess that's the second part is delegating as much as possible, but also letting the people I delegate to have a sense of ownership and Hmm. have them be able to delegate as well. So even within my team, we have tiers of, Hey, you know, leadership under me, leadership within almost like micro teams as well. So it it makes it so they're more confident to follow my intent. Um, People trust them to ask them questions as well. And again, I don't become the bottleneck. I don't become the main friction point. So I guess those two things, the commander's intent and then small unit leadership, right? So having other people have responsibility and feel like they're supervisors and in charge, which, which they are. Now they don't just feel that way. Sure. No, that that totally makes sense. I'm curious though, when you talk about the idea of intent and kind of this big picture, I'd say a lot on the podcast, a big picture view. So there's this overarching set of goals and the team functions within those set of goals. And then they can ultimately make smaller decisions on their own. Like you were talking about giving them freedom to work within that structure this is something that photographers struggle a lot with, particularly when it comes to delegating editing, because in their minds, every tiny little bit, I shouldn't say every photographer, a lot of photographers, so every tiny little nuance has to be exactly like they want it, or they think that their clients are going to be upset. Of course, this isn't reality. It's just what they've kind of built up in their mind. And how, I guess, how do we learn? And, and I've been guilty of the same thing again with Haley or maybe others in my team where I have a particular idea, a very specific idea in my mind. I think this is how it needs to get done. And the reality is those nuances probably don't have quite the effect that I think they're going to at the end of the day. How do you learn to step past that and not be so, um, I guess, such a micromanager in the process? Does it really actually hurt the business in the end or can you learn to let go? Yeah, I will say even within our team, uh, we've recently migrated towards OKRs, which are objectives and key results. 
So within the departments, right? So we, we kind of have a creative fulfillment team. That's the team that takes care of all the studios. And then we obviously have our, our marketing department. So our business development and our marketing. And we have found that when we set objectives that are very broad, right? That would determine success for the three month period or for six month period. And then we list out three key results. Um, and this was basically drafted up by, I'm pretty sure he was one of the founding members of uh, Google. And it's basically the idea of, you know, as long as you have a main objective and people are clear on measurable results that'll get you there, it's a lot easier for them to guide themselves through. Um, and as long as, you know, you're supervising, whether it's daily or every couple days, it's, it's really easy to at least stay on the, on the right heading. Right. But I, I do feel like if you're completely hands off and you do, let's just say you have these objectives and these key results, and even if they are measurable, if you're not checking in, if you're not holding them accountable, then six weeks from now, you're going to be really disappointed with the outcome. Yeah. But if you're making those little tack points where every couple of days you're measuring, they're, they're just going to get more on point, more on point, more on point. And it'll turn into the, it'll, it'll turn to the kind of the situation where the next campaign is three times easier. And then the next campaign, you're a little bit more hands off. And then the next campaign, somebody else is allowed to be the supervisor for it. And then you're able to just let more and more go. Uh, but I do feel that, you know, I don't think there'll ever be a time where I'm able to completely rip myself apart. But if I am, it's going to be because somebody else took over that supervisory role, if that makes sense. But understanding the objectives and ultimately the key results, as you referenced, is really important. And I think this is something that's missed a lot in the process of delegation. And again, we've seen it in the editing sphere, certainly, but I'm sure it's relevant elsewhere. And that is, if you don't know exactly what it is that you are wanting to achieve or to accomplish, then you're not likely going to be able to delegate as effectively because now these these ideas are a bit vague and what you're communicating as a result is also vague. And so then the work that your team is doing for you is also not going to be up to what you have in mind because you've not taken the time to, to break that down in detail, come up with very specific goals. So this is a great reminder. I mean, if nothing else, I'm going to walk away with a lot from this conversation. I, I really appreciate it, Alberto. Uh, let's talk, though, about education. It seems like you've just learned so much so quickly. Have there been particular books that you've that have impacted your life as a business owner significantly? Man. Yeah. I, it's funny because um, the first kind of like education platform we started, uh, I feel like in 2020, we are in the best time to live as far as education yeah. in the sense that like you can learn, go learn anything on a podcast through YouTube, through, you know, blogs, websites, courses, and of course books. I will say that I can't, I don't normally point to one thing, I just normally point to, it's almost like the ability to self-educate yourself. And it, it's almost like it's a, it's a new characteristic in the year 2020, where even within our education platform, we'll I'll see the people, the difference between the people that have a lot of success and the ones that are a little bit slower are the people that when they go find a task or they go find something to do, they just go exhaust every resource that they have. Mm. And whether it's Google search, whether it's the YouTube rabbit hole, and they come out of the other end, regardless of how much time it takes, just figuring it out for themselves. And, and that almost is, it's like a, it's like an endless resource of just having that characteristic of being like a, a, a someone who's able to rely on themselves to learn new material or go discover the answers because all the answers are out there, Yeah. right? Like I can give you a task and say, Hey, look, like I want you to go set up YouTube ads. And within two days, if you really applied yourself, you're not going to fail at it. You're going to come out at the other end, probably knowing how to do it and being able to do it pretty well, you know, in the foreseeable future. So, yeah, there's really little excuse at this point not to be resourceful. And, and this is something that I've done personally and have found great results from. I've gotten compliments from people in the past for doing this thing or that thing in business. And I'm like, yeah, Google. I mean, like Google is my friend. Because really, there is, and, and even more so now than ever, there is the information is available if you're even just slightly resourceful. And so, you know, I've had um, in, in the past, I've had an employee, for example, that would say, "Hey, how do you do this thing, or how do you do that thing?" And I'm like, I, I don't understand the concept of asking me a question like this because the information is available, and if you're resourceful enough, it it'd take all of you know a minute or two to find it, really if you just make a little bit of effort. And I think this is a good reminder, maybe a bit of a harsh one, but it, the information is there. 
And all you have to do is pull up G-O-O-G-L-E and type the information in. And Gary Vaynerchuk does this um, a good bit in his content too. You hear him, you're like, he's like, there's this awesome resource. If you just go to G-O-O-G-L-E uh, and, and type it in, the information's there. So point taken, and, and I love this reminder for all of our listeners. Let's actually get to the topic, the main topic at hand, those sales funnels. And you know, this is a phrase I mentioned to you before we started recording. I don't as far as I know anyway, and I've been in the industry close to 20 years, the idea of a sales funnel isn't a normal point of conversation in photography land, especially wedding and portrait photographers. The phrase itself isn't something that you hear thrown around. Why do you think that even is? I think I think it's a lot of times um, within industries, people make exceptions to rules, right? They'll basically say, well, I'm a photographer. I know that other businesses use sales funnels and it works for them but it doesn't work for photography because we're artists. It doesn't work because I live in this town. I, it doesn't work because people that I want to book me don't use Google, right? They don't use Instagram, they don't use this, so it won't work for my business, or they don't open emails anymore. Hmm. So I feel like a lot of times it just comes from, um, number one, maybe in the photography community, uh, you know, maybe it's not being taught a lot, but I also do think that a lot of times, even when I do present this idea, it is foreign, the initial response from a lot of people is, well, that's just not how photography works. So it's almost like you're moving uh, a, an object that's not in movement yet. But I have seen that, hey, the photographers that take this approach and are able to learn from other industries that are able to learn from you know other processes and able to adopt them, yeah. you know, they usually see some really good results, at least from trying and refining them. I mean, that makes sense. And, and actually, let's just make it practical for the photographers listening in. First of all, let's just define sales funnel. Um, if you don't mind for our listeners, give them context to what this phrase even means. Yeah. So I'll almost tell it at, at, as an end state and then I'll work backwards. So imagine whatever business you have right now, whatever studio you have every single day, like clockwork, you have inquiries coming in. And for some people that sounds like a dream and there's different places to get those, right? So every day your phone's ringing, you have new phone numbers, you have new messages telling you what wedding dates they want or what kind of portrait sessions or who their family members are gonna be that show up. And if we work backwards from that and say, okay, well, where do those people come from? For a lot of people, they kind of stop at either organic social media or they'll stop at, hey, I set up my website and SEO. And of course, those are two really powerful ones and I you know, daily habits can definitely bring those in. So that could be part of your sales funnel, right? That could be one of the sources. But if you move past that and say, okay, how do I make it so that every single day, whether I show up to work or not, or whether I put myself out there, new people learn about my business. Because at the end of the day, that is one of the biggest factors in how many bookings you're going to get or how many opportunities you're going to get at having conversations or consults to book people. And when we look at that, we'll say, okay, well, what resources do we have right now that are, we're able to do that, right? 20 years ago, it might've been, hey, I put up a sign in the mall and then people walk to my store, right? That, there's your sales funnel, right? They talk to you, you collect their phone number and you call them later or hopefully they book you. But right now, you can basically automate and test and try for almost no money or a very small budget. You can put yourself at the top of Google. You can disseminate uh, Instagram ads, Facebook ads, and you can target exact people and try different variations and try putting your offers out there or your messaging out there and put them through a process where, hey, when they take a certain action, you keep feeding them at, on different platforms. So an example, the, the most simple funnel that a lot of photographers use, um, they'll do something like they'll put up a PDF on Facebook and they'll say, hey, download my six steps to having the perfect boudoir session. Right. And they'll get four or five people to download that every day. So now you're collecting new phone numbers, new emails, and then those people are going to your website and then they're going to get retargeted with more videos and testimonials. And then they're going to be more familiar with you. And then they're going to get emails from you to join their Facebook group. You might send them a friend request. You might send them a personal message and text message. And you're creating all these different touch points that over a year might add up to 500, 600 touch points where most photographers are, they might have something like two or three touch points. Um, so it's, it's really just kind of, you know, working the end state we want, which is obviously tons of inquiries and bookings. And then how do we get people every single day to do that? Whether it's with organic uh, methods like Facebook and Instagram and SEO, or whether it's with paid traffic, right? Google AdWords, YouTube ads, or Facebook ads. And when you use both of those together, 
they tend to be very powerful and you, you tend to stay very top of mind and you just get in front of tens of thousands more people. And if it works and if your messaging is on point and if you're able to get people through the funnel, right? So getting to know you, getting to like you and then trust you enough to book, they end up paying for the rest of your marketing because once you start getting people going through that and paying you, well, hopefully you're charging enough so there's a profit. And then of that profit, you're able to at least allocate uh, some back to expenses in marketing and then you're able to just keep doubling down and it turns into a vicious cycle where, you know, it, you're, it's basically like an endless funnel of new clients because your former clients pay for new exposure that pays for new people on your email list and new phone numbers, new people on your text message list, and then ultimately new clients again, more referrals, more word of mouth, more SEO results, more things to post on your blog. And that's really how it kind of gets out of hand in a good way, right? The, the, the results just kind of compound on each other. And that's, that's really what we look at when we, when we talk sales funnel. It's really like just having a refined machine where you know how people are going to come in contact with you and then you're going to control the journey or at least attempt to and try to get them to have a conversation with you. Versus what you were talking about earlier when we were referencing the idea of communication, a lot of photographers, I was certainly guilty of it, they they just assume that you know the, the potential client lands on the site and if they don't book at that point, then that's just all over. We're talking about building a funnel. We're talking about kind of maximize. I don't know if you'd say maximizing the touch points, but certainly increasing the number of touch points where the communication is ongoing until they do book. Correct. Yeah. I would say, you know, and a lot of times it's almost like we, it's almost like we treat inquiries or traffic as if they're like a different species. And what I mean by that is I think about a year ago, I was looking to buy a car and I'd inquired with a dealership, and every single time this guy called me back, I was either picking my daughter up, I was having dinner with her, we were riding the motorcycle, we were doing homework, or I was like putting her to bed. So I think I had gotten maybe a couple text messages from him. I saw a bunch of retargeting ads and I was getting emails from him. And every single time, I didn't mean to blow him off, right? Um, and a lot of times that's kind of, the, it's kind of the attitude photographers have. It's like, why did this person inquire with me and then ignore me? Hmm. They, like, they're just so stupid. Why would they do that? And in the real world, they're just like me, right? Like they have a real world going on. They Such have to pay bills. Yeah. They have a job. They have stress. And this guy, he just kept calling me. And part of his funnel was obviously all of those automated ways with paid advertising, email, uh, text. But it, he also had physical touch points where he was calling me. So on like the sixth time I answered and he was like, hey, you know, I know you're completely busy. Life gets in the way. He sent me a bunch of info. And next thing you know, I was flying to New York to drive my car down. And I always thought about that. I thought, you know, what if he would have been on the other phone, upset that I had ignored him, uh, held it against me, not left me all those voicemails, like he would have lost out on that commission. His dealership wouldn't have made that money. And it didn't matter whether I called him back the first day because he knew that, hey, I was at least in the buying cycle or I showed interest and he kept pursuing me uh, and he kept, you know, do, he basically did me and him a favor, right? And a lot of times I feel like photographers think you're bothering people. And sure, some people are negative and they've, they're grouchy and they might be upset. But for people like me or the people that you do want to service, you know, they're, they're probably going to be thankful. And a lot of times when photographers kind of change their mindset and start even changing their habits, they start coming back to me and saying, Alberto, you know what? I was so nervous that people were going to be mad that I text them or call them. They were actually relieved. That person said they were so sorry they didn't answer before, but their kid was, you know, this or that. They were at the dentist, yeah, and they were glad I called them back, and they they almost forgot. So I love that example. I mean, that's such a great reminder for all of us, myself included, because you know, most photographers uh, would would admittedly uh, or would say that that they are not salespeople, and part of the reason that they consider themselves not salespeople is because they don't want to put undue pressure on somebody to buy. And the reality is many times if they're not, this person's not responding, it's just because they're doing life. It's nothing personal. It's not that they're not interested. They're just doing life and the effort at following up, whether, you know, personally or even through an automated system uh, could actually be really beneficial, both for them. And of course, for your business in the end, that's a great reminder. Let's actually make this even more practical though. You and I just to kind of break the fourth wall, we were talking about three main principles behind developing a great, a, a strategically designed funnel to convert more clients. Will you share those three pr principles with our listeners and we'll kind of break each of those down? Yeah. So I, I think at the simplest terms without, you know, getting too complicated with tech, we always focus on the messaging. So basically what we want people to feel, see, read, and, you know, think about us or okay. about themselves. 
then we always focus on, Hey, how do we disseminate that? How do we get people to actually see that message and attract them to us? Okay. And then we focus on conversions, right? So how are the consults going to go? How are we actually going to book them? And how are we going to, you know, um, get them through actually become clients? So the one that's usually skipped, right? Everyone, everyone always wants to focus on, okay, well, how do I buy that ad? How do I, where do I put it? What's the audience? Hmm. And to me, one big principle we have when we teach Facebook ads is that I don't even care about audiences. I do not care about what, you know, what that person does for a living. I don't care. The only thing I care about is on the front end is the messaging. You know, what image are they going to see? What are they going to respond to? What's our headline going to be? What do we want them to feel? Because if we can figure that out, when people see the ads, they'll self-select themselves by clicking on them, by interacting with them. So the messaging is the part that most people skip because they just, they think most of the results come from disseminating or getting that out instead of focusing on, Hey, when people see that, what kind of person is going to be attracted to that? Why would they be interested in talking to me and then focusing on, okay, now that I figured that out, how do I get that out to as many people as possible? So when it comes to that messaging piece though, this is not a a strength for most photographers. It's something that I'm having to continue to work at myself. Is there, is there a way in which you have learned to communicate a message more effectively and, and more specifically to do so with less words because photographers, and again, myself included tend to be wordy individuals. Uh, We could say a lot more with a lot less words most of the time. How do you effectively do that? And have there been particular educational resources that have enabled you to learn how? So for the thing that always works and it has never not worked is just doing. Hmm. And what I mean by that is the the thing that's going to be the most costly and less effective and cost the most heartache is just randomly guessing what the messaging is and just throwing it up as an ad. So what we always focus on is if we have daily habits of doing Instagram stories, we have daily habits of doing Instagram, uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram posts or blogging. Well, what's happening is you're creating a message and every single day you're testing it out, right? So every day you're going to your audience and you're putting this stuff up and some of it won't land. Some, most people won't respond to a lot of it. You'll get some likes and comments, but every now and then maybe once a week, you'll put something up and you'll just get flooded with, Oh my God, I love that. Tell me more about that. Or how does, how does that work? And you start refining that and you'll start seeing, okay, if this worked organically, what about it worked organically? When I spoke to the people or when they messaged me, you know, what, were, what words did they use? What made them interested in it? And then you can take that and then you'll have your winners. So weekly, you'll have some winners. And then monthly, you'll definitely have some winners. And then what we do is we take that and then we put that and turn that into an ad. So we always test everything as much as possible through free uh, platforms like Instagram, Facebook, Facebook lives, email, and whatever has the most traction is what we try to do for paid advertising. So an example was, you know, one time we had a boudoir photographer that was like, you know, I'm kind of at my end's wit and I don't really know what to advertise this month or whatever. And one reason a lot of times that happens is they get really stuck in their business. They don't have any fun passion projects, right? They're not like shooting for fun anymore. So I told them, I said, look, like go do a passion project document it and see how it goes. So she did like a bondage, uh, you know, she did like black leather and she did kind of like a a little bit more dark and moody, which is a little bit different than what she did. Sure. And she posted it and she had like 20 people in her Facebook group say, you know what? Like, I'm really interested. How do I book that? So she sent that to us and she said, Hey, this one went really well. And we said, look, that's perfect. Now that's the campaign that we can run this month. And we ended up running that as an ad and disseminating that. But when we looked at the comments and when we looked at the images she used, like that helped us distill the messaging and figuring out again, it's almost by doing right. So a lot of the things that come from us and like our ethos is like, we got to do a lot more than, you know, than pontificate or think <laughs> yes. and guess. Yeah. And it just comes down to, you know, our daily habits, our daily stories or daily posts. And anytime somebody comes to us, you know, in our education platforms or personally messages me and says, I don't know what to do. I'll always ask, like, what are you doing daily? What mm. passion projects are you working on? Yeah. You know, what, you know, what's working organically. And if they say no, nothing, then my suggestion is then you're probably not ready to do paid advertising for, for nothing. Right. Hmm. It's just a, yeah, that, that's, uh, I love this man. I, I especially love the focus on doing, and again, maybe this is just for me, but I, I, I need, um, I like the reminder 
of the significance of just doing in the end because it is so easy to get stuck and fixated on analyzing this thing and that thing. And, um, you know, even, even, I mean, I'm such a nerd that I even get stuck in designing and redesigning uh, my workflows and my processes, which at the end of the day, isn't really helping me actually get anything done. I mean, it's one thing to spend a little bit of time there again, to be strategic, it's important, but you have to just do and doing and doing consistently makes all the difference in the world. And I've seen this pay off. I mean, even the podcast I started back in 2016. So it's been almost four years now and we're about 400 episodes in. But one of the things that I realized early on is, you know, we, and we had actually tried a podcast previously and I wasn't consistent. I didn't just do. And I was reminded actually, thanks to to Gary Vaynerchuk's content, the, the significance of just showing up consistently and long story short, it's paid off and, and it's cool to, to see the return on that effort, the consistency in showing up. And it's, man, I go back, in fact, just even just earlier today, I, I pit play on an old episode and I was just, it was cringeworthy in my mind listening to, you know, how I interviewed that back then or how I sounded back then. But you, you learn as you go, as long as you're willing to continue to do. If you show up, you keep your mind open, you keep your ears open, you keep your eyes open, you listen to that feedback, you're going to learn from the process, but you got to keep doing uh, as well. Such a good reminder. Just one other question, though, about refining the message. How do you effectively learn? We talk a lot about brand position on the, on the podcast. And when we're defining a position which we want to represent or stand for in the marketplace, in the local marketplace, that position naturally represents a particular client segment. Um, how do you refine messaging for that particular client segment? Is that the same kind of process again, where you just put it out there and see how they respond or is it a different process? You know, I actually, I, and it almost sounds too simple. I, I do think it is the doing part. Okay. So I do think it is putting it out there. And I'll tell you that we do this so much across so many different cities and studios that I feel like, we're almost cheating because we get we get so many tries at it. Sure, uh, but we'll learn things from our clients. So you know, we had a conversation with a client like three years ago, and we were kind of talking through like, okay, who do you want to shoot? Who's your favorite person to shoot? And we were just kind of brainstorming, you know, what the position was going to be moving forward. And she was like, you know what? I really love shooting these forty-five-year-old women. I don't care if they're divorced. They have money. They want to spend on themselves. And we just started thinking like, well, we're not really putting that forward in a lot of the stuff we're doing. Why don't we try that? So she went and she did a bunch of stories. She did a bunch of posts and we decided on, Hey, let's do, uh, you know, women over 40 that are celebrating anniversaries that are celebrating, you know, divorces, marriages, you know, the big forties, the big fifties kind of thing. It was, it was kind of like a celebrate yourself. And then we created these ads from the stuff she was putting up organically, where we put only women basically that looked like they were closer to 50 and above. And what ended up happening was like, those were the most popular set. Like it was, it was the best performing audience. It was the best performing ad set. And it was really consistent, right? So from the moment the person saw the ad to the headline, to landing on the page, to seeing everything about the kind of session she was running it really, really spoke to a very specific and narrow kind of avatar. Um, and it, and it, it, it's not like we sat there and we like, you know, did this huge worksheet and wrote it all out. It was almost like we started from just the organic posts, right? Just mm. going through and reading the comments, going yep. through and reading the submissions on the forums and like trying to, you know, figure out, you know, how to write the ads. And one thing we do, if we ever get stuck and we, I actually think this works the best is one of the best ads we ever run are just doing testimonial videos. So basically just taking a testimonial, overlaying a slideshow of a bunch of photos from that person's uh, experience. And then we, we just take the ad copy and we make snippets of what they said in the video. Hmm. And in the comments, we get more ideas for ads, right? So women will say, oh my God, you know, I didn't think this was for me because I have three kids and after seeing this, you know, I want to do it now, you know, or, you know, insert whatever reason for whatever genre. And what we realize is, you know, the more you put it out there, the more you test it organically, the more you actually go back and read the responses, the more you're able to continue to refine it. And you might find some different angles, right? You might find some people that'll say, you know, I thought I was too heavy, but after seeing this woman, she looks so amazing. I didn't know that you could do that. I'm interested in that now. And that lets, it, let, that lets us create content for emails, create retargeting ads, create FAQs for the website, 
And as long as we're always kind of searching for that, like what are people's objections? What are people's dreams? Like what is the outcome they want from this? We're able to like tailor the writing on the website, the, you know, the writing on the ads and the email sequences and even through the phone consults. Wow. This is good. And the cool thing is it's not complicated too, which is, it's, it's funny how at the end of the day, a lot of the, the simplest things are what we need to be doing. We just need to show them, show up and do them consistently. And that's what matters in the end. This is really good though. So we're going to start with refining the message. Then secondly, you talked about distributing or disseminating the message. And, and you alluded earlier to multiple platforms. I know this is a loaded topic. We only have so much time, but what does this actually mean practically? So for us, depending on the genre, we, we kind of have a guideline. As long as you master Google and Facebook, you're going to have the most reach and you're going to be able to use almost any other platform. So I would just start with that, Google and Facebook. But whenever we start, depending on the genre, we'll, either out, we'll, we'll always have a split budget for both of them. But depending on the genre, it might be heavier for Google or it might be heavier for Facebook. So to give you an example, we kind of separate it by if it depends on a life event or if it's time sensitive, then we'll focus on Google. A little bit more. We'll have a bigger Google budget. If it's something that we can create interest and it doesn't matter what time, like lifetime event is going on, then we're more likely to rely heavily on Facebook. So an example is if I'm trying to get pregnant women to do maternity and newborn shoots, I can't really go on Facebook and create a bunch of desire or as much and with women that like aren't pregnant yet, right? It's a little bit strange. <laughs> right. So but women on, on Google are self-selecting themselves and, you know, searching it. So then we might focus our funnel on more search oriented, if that makes sense. And then same thing with like seniors, right? Like what are the chances parents have, you know, kids that are seniors in high school, you know, one in 18 chance. And then same thing with weddings, right? Like what are the chances someone's engaged or getting married? So if, if they fall into that timeline of like life event needs to happen, we'll go heavier on Google. But if it's something that we can generate interest for, like, you know, photographing boudoir, photographing pets, photographing, um, you know, entire families or like children fantasy sessions. That's something that a lot of people don't have to wait on a life event. They don't have to wait for a specific summer of a school year that one of their kids is in. Okay. So as long as you can master those two platforms, which are pretty easy and they have tons of resources, they even have free account representatives that'll help you. Yeah. Um, you're able to basically get on any platform and advertise. But those are the two that we really focus on and just kind of our thought process whenever we start going down the path of like allocating budget, which one to focus on. But for the most part, for the ones I just gave examples for, we always start with Google and then we'll at least do retargeting. And then for the other ones that we can definitely generate interest for, we'll go like 80% Facebook on those and then 20% Google. I like the differentiation again, though. I don't think I've ever heard that before. So the difference being Google being focused on life events, Facebook more on interests uh, per se, and distributing your your focuses accordingly. That's that's really great. And by the way, again, loaded topic. I realize for those of you listening in, you're like, okay, so then how do I go run ads in Google? And how do, how do I run ads on, on Facebook? We do have some of this content on the podcast and Haley will link to some of that in the show notes as well. Of course, the, the uh, techniques are, are ever changing as well. That's one of the challenges. But I like these, I like these principles that we're touching on. Um, which are certainly applicable now and have been. So that's really great. All right. So then the third step, as we close here, we get to conversion of the client. It seems obvious. It seems self-explanatory, but what does this mean in a very practical kind of granular level? So I, I will, I will say that a lot of people think conversion is just one thing, which is booking, Okay. Uh, which obviously it is, but at the end of the day, you're going to have a lot more conversations and consults than you are bookings. So we focus on getting as many people on the phone as possible. Some people do phone for, for the most part, anyone that works with me does do phone consults or at least in-person consults. So just to give you an example, it's not always the same for everyone. So depending on the person's personality, depending on their comfort level or the out, let's just say the, the level of success they have, we might change it a little bit. So I'll give you an example of a photographer that was like very, you know, kind of apprehensive about doing phone consults and was like, you know what, this isn't really my forte. I don't love doing that. I love to ease into phone consults. So we looked at it and said, okay, normally we have a phone consultation scheduler on their thank you page or somewhere on their website, or we'll have text automations that get them on the phone or schedule phone consults, you know, once they inquire. So we looked at that person and said, okay, that's not maybe the perfect conversion or funnel for you, you know, or the tail end of the funnel. 
So she said, you know what works better for me is when they join my Facebook group or when they add me as a friend on Facebook or follow me on Instagram, hmm. then, then I send them a DM and then I'm much, we have much better phone consults if they kind of look at my profile first and we get comfortable. Yeah. So for her, that's what we turned into like her conversion is we want people to join her group or, you know, Instagram. And then when she gets a request from them, she has to send them a message and then all the phone consults go through there. And that's just something that worked better for her. And for some people, we do phone consultation schedulers, you know, on their website. So it really just comes down to, you know, that can, the conversion is obviously providing as much value on the front end, whether for some people, Hey, it's just good enough to do videos on your website, send some blogs through, you know, some emails, retarget with some testimonials, and then go straight to a phone consult. And for some other people, maybe they just, they just want to ease into it a little bit more. They want to have a conversation on, you know, Instagram or Facebook first, and we'll tailor it to that. But the result, the end state we kind of want is always usually, hey, we want them to book or at least refer somebody or have that consultation so we can at least build that rapport. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just kind of a simple example that it's not always the same for every single person. And we are flexible and I'm always willing to try things with people. You know, there are some people that say, you know what, I want to text them, do a text conversation beforehand. So we'll focus on that. But a lot of it, and I speak from personal experience and in some cases, unfortunately, bad experience. If I don't know specifically, I mean, it relates very much to what we were talking about delegation earlier. If we don't know specifically what we want, then it's tough to design a campaign that is going to be as effective as we would like. And part of designing a campaign is being very, very intentional and ultimately very specific in the result that we're looking for. And if we're doing so and we're ultimately creating multiple campaigns, they are going to have different objectives uh, or key results that that we're looking for. But we have to start with specificity and what our goal is for that campaign in order to decide what that conversion actually means. So I'm glad that you've distinguished the nuance there in the conversation. And I think it's really important for all of our listeners to remember. I'm man, I'm totally geeking out on this conversation. This has been truly, really, really wonderful. I just I love being able to bring practical, actionable information to our listeners. I can't thank you enough for for doing this. Will you just remind all of our listeners where they can follow you online and ultimately learn more about the digital marketing studio if they're looking for help as well? Yeah, I will say probably the most photography centric resource we have is photography to profits.com. Okay. And primarily that's, that's basically all our businesses. I've definitely niched down having come from photography. So I've taken my own advice, right? I've niched down. I used to work, try to work with realtors and all these other people, but I'm just so passionate about photography that that's probably the best place to contact us. We do have a Facebook group and I'm always open on, on Facebook. If you guys want to send me a friend request on Facebook, I always write people back and try to post as much valuable content on my personal page as well. Awesome, man. This has been, this has been really, really great. We're going to have to get out and ride a motorcycle together at some point too. I I want to come down to to Miami and ride out there with you and all this Corona stuff is, is over, but thank you so much for making time to share all of us with all of us, such valuable, practical information. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much photographers for listening to the Boca podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at bocapodcast.com. We do try to bring this show to you commercial free. So make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographers Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.